Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. State Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 362. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to yet another great episode. I'm excited today to introduce to you Ari Rastigar. Ari's a fellow Texan living in Austin, Texas, just down the road. Ari is the founder and CEO of Rastigar Property Company. Now, he got his start investing in real estate while attending law school and in 2006 bought his very first development project, going on to later found Rastigar Property Company in 2015, where he now invests across 32 cities and eight states, including multifamily units, mixed-use complexes, storage facilities, and more. Today's going to be a really fun conversation with Ari. We're going to talk about how he got started, what he's doing today things like motivation and even biohacking and health. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Ari, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. It's, yeah. been, a, it's been a long 10, 12 years. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, yeah, let's talk about kind of those early days. Ari, tell us about yeah. who you are, what you do, how you got started, all that good stuff. Yeah, well, look, you know, my dad was an Iranian immigrant. He came over here actually to study at UT in the late 70s. And after the Iranian Revolution, you know, they killed our whole family pretty much. And he was kind of had to start from scratch. And luckily, my grandparents were able to get out, you know, but great mom and dad, you know, they kind of divorced early, lived mostly with my dad. And, you know, my grandpa, you know, his dream, who was, you know, my hero, him and my dad were my heroes, you know, always wanted me to, we drive by these buildings together. And, you know, he'd look up at them and he'd say, you know, one day you should own these buildings. He thought real estate was the best investment. You know, he'd always preach that to everybody. He'd say, you know, buy real estate. And, you know, he was a medical doctor by trade and didn't know much about business, but he always believed in real estate. And somehow that kind of resonated in my heart in a very visceral way. And so, you know, I kind of followed in Rastigar, obviously the name of our firm. I always think of him, you know, when I think of that. And, but to my father, my father, who's an attorney, said to me very simply, I didn't even want to go to college. And I actually, you know, majored in English literature when I was at Texas A&M. But what most people don't know about me is I had to go to community college, two different community colleges before I could get to A&M because I was <laughs> right, such a right. screw up in high school. Uh, <laughs> and so I graduated top of my class from A&M, applied to 30 or 40 different law schools, got into zero, but one. And I got it to St. Mary's in San Antonio. (laughs) They gave me a scholarship, which was nice. And I told my dad, you know, look, I don't think I want to do this. I don't want to go to law school. He's like, you've already been accepted. He said, son, after you go to law school, you can be an exotic dancer for all I care. (laughs) 
So I did. And during my first year of law school, I used all my scholarship money and borrowed $3,000 from one of my friend's fathers from college and bought a single family lot on Canyon Lake, which is pretty close to San Antonio, Texas, that kind of know the Texas area. And I saw these signs that kept saying this name, Dugan, 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 Dugan on all these houses that said sold. So I looked him up and I went to his office and said, you know, we don't know each other, but I bought that lot around the corner. You build it at cost. We'll split the profits 50-50. I'll be on the build side every day. And we built a house, sold it during framing, did two, did three. And I was in law school from, you know, noon to like four in the library to one in the morning on the build side at five in the morning. Then when 2008 hit, we lost absolutely everything. I say we, meaning me. (laughs) <laughs> and he was a very, very generous man. So he kind of gave me back my initial scholarship money and my investment. I paid back my investor and my wrestling coach in high school. And I was a terrible wrestler, by the way. My best friend, uh, who's still one of my best friends after 30 years, was my same weight class. And he was a seven-time national champion. Just beat me up every day, basically. Right. And, yeah. Good um, friend to have. <laughs> yeah, good friend to have. But, you know, but my coach's best friend was the head of Credit Swiss. So he ran all conduit lending for Credit Suisse and did almost 400 billion of lending and real estate lending. And he set up a dinner and he invited me to come to New York and do some stuff. And I spent almost six years on Wall Street. And after working for some of the biggest names on Wall Street, I decided to open up my shop because I thought there could be kind of a better way to do it. So I started my own shop and the rest is kind of history. It's always fun to hear people's backgrounds, Ari, because so many people don't have a straight line from you know point A to point B, point B being a successful real estate investor, right? Many people come from different paths. So much like you, you were taught with this kind of blueprint that many people are is to go to school, get a good education, study something hard, become a doctor, lawyer, something of that nature, right? You kind of started along that path, but somewhere you kind of veered away and took the real estate path. What was it about real estate that you know, led you to it? What interested you about it? Why real estate? Yeah. You know, I mean, look, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of it had to do with that initial love that I had for my grandpa, my dad that, you know, drew me to it to like understand like just something that was solid and I felt like I could touch it. And, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world by any stretch of the imagination my wife and we have three beautiful children and she works in the firm. My chief operating officer is actually my sister-in-law, my wife's older sister, who's absolutely brilliant. You know, she comes from a supply chain logistics background, but when I met my wife, you know, she was Johnny Depp's personal assistant, just kind of like, you know, interesting kind of path. And so I was thinking maybe entertainment, maybe this, maybe that, maybe stocks, maybe bonds. And talking to my wife, she reminded me of a story that, you know, I guess Will Smith and Johnny had spoken about, and now it's pretty public. You can Google the quote, but Will Smith, they asked him, you know, how did you become the highest paid actor in the world? Because at one point, Will Smith was as big as it gets, right? I mean, he was the guy, you know, he's the rock, right? Of the moment, right? Right. I love the rock. He's unbelievable, man. And I love Will too. So they asked him, he said, well, look, I'm not the best looking. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the best actor. But if you and I get on a treadmill side by side, either you're getting off first or I'm going to (laughs) die. So that was always my mentality. And so I didn't understand stocks and bonds, looked like a bunch of numbers on a page. You know, I'm an English major, but I could always do the math with my head. So I didn't really 
have a traditional business background, but something really, you know, resonated with me about homes, about like someone's homes where someone lives. And we lived in apartments growing up most of my life because we were, you know, pretty poor living here in Austin. And, you know, I remember these crummy apartments that we lived in. And the first apartment complex that I bought here in Austin was 23 units, you know, near Zilker Park. Those of you that kind of know Austin, you know, know that area, beautiful area. But, you know, just 23 units, old vintage, you know, 40-year-old building. And, you know, the insides hadn't been touched, you know, had a bunch of problems, leaks and plumbing. And and I just saw this vision of reimagining it. And instead of kind of, we have a saying in real estate, you put lipstick on the pig, right? You kind of go, you just kind of change something, maybe do a little paint. And I said, you know what? We're going to go gut this thing out. We're going to put all new electrical, all new plumbing. We're going to build technology into these things. We're going to put sensors, you know, in the water heaters. And we're going to take, you know, because we see ourselves as as a data analytics company more than anything. We track data on everything, on all of our properties. We've obviously grown into that. But, you know, but our thesis was simple. Create a better customer experience that is more value. I don't like the word cheap. I want to say inexpensive, that we could offer a class A amenity on the interior for the price of a class B or class C. So new sheetrock, new insulation, new electrical, new plumbing, new roofing. So when you walk into this new unit, even though it's an older building, super well located, you're walking into a beautiful experience. And, you know, my wife and I in the early days would go stay in the units ourselves and, you know, check all the appliances and use everything because we lived in apartments in New York and you know, both of us kind of came from nothing. So it was important for us to make sure that we stayed obsessed with our customers and started out kind of small. I say small, but it was a $4 million project. And luckily a bunch of folks on Wall Street who knew I was kind of doing the work when I was working for the big guys backed me on the project and we financed it with Freddie Mac. And now we own, I don't even know how many buildings to be perfectly honest, but I know we have about 500 acres in the Austin MSA. We're building 2000 homes in Kyle, Texas, 900 multi-units. We own three acres on South Congress, three acres on South First, 50 acres by the airport. We're building condos in Phoenix. We're building a 26-story high-rise in Dallas. So it's grown a little bit over the past six years. That's awesome. Let's talk about that transition you made from, you know, you take that very first investor capital combined with your scholarship money and, you know, what other money you could scrounge together. You buy that lot on Canyon. Fear. All fear. (laughs) And you go out and you buy this lot and you partner with a developer, you develop a home, you sell it. You're like, okay, that worked. Awesome. Let's do this thing again and again. Well, remember the years though. So, so it's important to remember this was 2005. Okay. So, I mean you basically could have bought anything and, you know, and go up and they'd get, you know, people were, were getting mortgages and dogs names. Right. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. like, you know, luckily, you know, my partner is very respected at the local banks and, you know, he signed on the debt with me and, you know, for the construction financing, but, you know, one of the definitions of an entrepreneur that I've always really loved is entrepreneurs jump off the side of a cliff and build a plane on the way down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And so I figured, you know, this is something I wanted to do. And I just kept seeing these as I would drive to law school, 
from, I actually lived in Spring Branch, Texas. And okay. there's a Spring Branch by Houston, but yeah. the Spring Branch I'm talking about is actually a little bit north of San Antonio by Canyon Lake. Right. For the listeners that, you know, kind of know Texas. But I drive by and it, it was just like this, I'd see like a foundation and it'd say for sale and then sold. And so on my way to school, I just keep going back and forth, sold, sold, sold. And then something inside of me just kind of said, you know what? F it, let's do it. You know, let's, you know, let's try to go get it. But it was pure fear, you know, Um, but an excitement, but I was able to be on the build side. So I, I built those houses, you know, with my own hands alongside, you know, alongside the workers. And it was something that, you know, I'm not very good with my hands. My wife is the technician in our house. Uh, <laughs> she knows how to work all the TVs. And, you know, if anything's broken, she fixes it. I'm definitely not a manly man in that regard. But it was an experience for me to show up to, you know, evidence class in law school and work boots and see men all over me and my teacher being like, dude, like, what are you where doing? Did you come from? Like, what are you doing? And, but it was some of the best days. And, they all sold, but when the market turned, you know, in 2007, 2008, they pulled all our interim construction loans. And so, you know, I went from, you know, after flipping burgers at Johnny Rockets and delivering pizzas through college to thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a million dollars in my checking account in my early 20s if I sell the rest of the houses we built to walking away with my hand and, you know, paying my investors back and, you know, not having too much. And let's talk about the mindset of that phase, Ari. You know, so here you are, you've got an education, you've got yourself through law school, you're trying out this real estate thing and you just get punched in the mouth in the 2008 kind of financial crisis, kind of lose the shirt off your back. Why'd you keep going? What made you keep doing this real estate thing? And rather than just maybe falling back on your law degree and, you know, just practicing stupidity. law. Just pure stupidity. <laughs> so we've got uh, fear, know. stupidity. These yeah. are some uh, yeah, you know, qualities. You know what it is? It's, you know, you got to have grit, you know, in grit, we talk about that as being this thing that, you know, of resilience where you really push through things. But I had an inner calling, you know, and I think we all, you know, and my book comes out in February called The Gift of Failure and failure truly, truly is a gift if you have introspection, okay? I'm a big fan of Ray Dalio and his beliefs in radical transparency, but you know, you have to believe in something, okay? And Steve Jobs talks about how you can't connect the dots going forward. You have to connect the dots going backwards. And you kind of see that these are little blessings. And, you know, I'm a believer. I'm a very spiritual man. And there was something deep inside of me that knew that there was something to keep moving towards. And, you know, I know to some people that might sound cheesy, but to me, I believed that there was a better way to do this and that this was something that I was supposed to do. And we just kind of kept going and, but I was scared and vulnerable. And I came to learn later in life that vulnerability is power. You know, it's a beautiful Ted talk that I you know, advise everybody to look up. I forgot the exact name, but it's something around vulnerability is powerful or something to that extent. If you go to TED and you type in vulnerability, it'll come up, but it's a beautiful talk that just explains that, you know, you have to open yourself up and you have to, you know, it's like the people that, you know, get in relationships. And, you know, part of the things I talk about in the book is business has nothing to do with business. 
You know, this has to do with personal growth. And I'm a big Tony Robbins guy. I'm a big Napoleon Hill guy. I'm a self-help guy. And I always look on working on myself. So if I'm, you know, working on a building and fixing it up, that's how I think of myself. And I looked at that failure as like, okay, like what could I have done better? And, you know, where was the misstep? What did I miss? Like, how could, what could I do there? But you have to believe in something bigger than you, you know? And, you know, when you think about being humble, you know, humility doesn't really mean you think less of yourself. Humility really means you think less about yourself. And so I realized during those days, I was thinking about getting rich. I'm like, I'm going to make money and I'm going to do this. And this is about me. And And then when the focus shifted to no, like I have to think about my end user. I have to think about my customers. Like this is for them. This is their home. Something shifted inside of me where it became bigger than me. And what became bigger than me and not about me per se and me being a conduit, all of a sudden, you know, for lack of a better word, magic happened. So when you're talking about this grit and, you know, that's kind of what kept you going, would you summarize that? Like it was kind of like a gut feel. You had like this kind of naturally drawn, like sense of purpose to, you know, deliver a good product to your end client being your residence or. Well, I had a why. Well, I had a why, you know, and Simon Sinek talks about this stuff a lot. And, you know, my why in the very early days is I wanted to make my dad and my grandpa proud. Okay. Yeah. And that was big for me. And, you know, being an Iranian American, I'm a first generation American, born and raised in Austin, Texas, lived up and down the I-35 corridor. You know, I wanted them to be proud. And so, and I didn't want to stop and I didn't want to quit initially for them, you know, and now, you know, it's about my children and about my wife and my family. And, you know, I always look at investing now in my kids' timeline. You know, I look at everything and say, oh, my Isabella, our youngest, you know, who's one years old. I always look, I was like, okay, so where was I when I was one? You know, I'm pretty sure we lived, you know, in a little shack in East Austin. So in 10 years, you know, she'll be 10. And, you know, and I, and I was just trying to yeah. think of my investors. I'm like, okay, so, you know, when he turns, you know, 52, you know, where will he be? And, you know, how will this affect us at retirement? Or when I think of our pensioners and our institutional investors, you know, I had to depersonalize it. And if you're going to build something great that is sustainable, that's going to be long-term, that's going to outlive you, because when you hopefully read my book, my book is not for people that want to get a promotion at a job. My book is for the dreamers that have dreams that are so big that everybody's going to laugh you out of the room, you know, and to do that, you know, you have to believe in something greater than yourself. And Napoleon Hill talks about it in Think and Grow Rich, which I recommend everybody should read about goal setting. And I made vision board and I just, and I wrote them down and I read them out loud and people think this stuff is really cheesy, but it works. You start to believe in things and see them be tangible. And, but yeah, it was something very, very deep inside of me that I had faith that there was a bigger purpose. Yeah. So many people are eager, Ari, like you and I were when we were first getting started to just buy that first deal or just get started, right? And they maybe skip over the piece of doing that groundwork and building the foundation, which is, you know, developing themselves and, and, you know, identifying those things, like finding out their reasons why and investing in themselves first and educating themselves, right? You are your most important asset. Yeah. You're all you have. You're all you have at the end of the day. It's you. 
you know, and that's why I take health so seriously. And if you Google Ari Rastig or GQ, GQ did a big, let's get into that about, you know, you saw that I'm sure, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, we've been fortunate you've seen, we've been in Forbes in the journal and, you know, it's been pretty public what I've done and, you know, which is pretty humbling for a kid that literally came from nothing. I still read those articles and think, is that the Ari Rat? Is that me or is that somebody else? It's still a little bit bizarre. And it's kind of hard for me to read some of those articles sometime, but I take health very seriously. And so if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're going to be a business person in real estate or whatever you're doing, you know, you have to take care of yourself, you know, and when you're on the plane, they say, you know, if the plane were to go down, the oxygen mask drops, you have to put it over your face before you put it over the kid next to you. And that I never understood that. I was like, what does that mean? Isn't that selfish? Shouldn't I be taking care of the person next to me? And it wasn't until later in life. And Mark Twain has a great quote. You know, he says that, you know, when I was 18 years old, I couldn't believe how little my father knew about the world. When I turned 25, I couldn't believe how much he learned in seven years, <laughs> you know? And so the point is you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself. You have to invest in yourself. You have to read those books. And we live in this era where everything is on YouTube. Watch the YouTube videos. You don't need to be some millionaire and take these expensive seminars that are 20 grand with, you know, you name the names, right? Like right. go on YouTube, watch these things, listen to the greatest minds in the world and just spend time investing in your own personal development and your business. I think of it like a tree, like you're this tree, you're this trunk and your business is the branch. So the more, the healthier your tree is, inevitably the business or whatever you're doing will be healthier and will be more successful. And you've seen that in your own life. I've lived it. Yeah, that's, I completely agree with you there. And you bring up an interesting point. You talk about the health component, right? Like you have to be, you know, healthy to, you know, continue to do these things, right? Without yeah. your health, nothing else matters, right? And you talk about that oxygen mask analogy, you know, you have to be able to help yourself first before you can help others. I've always seen wealth in the same aspect, right? Like it's hard to make an impact on the world and help others if you don't have the wealth and the ability to help yourself that, first. That's right? the whole purpose of wealth. Like the reason the aristocracy existed was to provide jobs, employment. I don't get into politics and look, I see the merits on both sides of it. People ask me all the time, am I a Republican? Am I a Democrat? And my answer is always very simple. I'm an American. Yeah. I'm an American. Plain and simple, you know, and that's really what it is. We're doing this to contribute. And that's the paradigm shift is that when you're building something great or you're building whatever it is, a family, a business, the analogy and the universal truths that govern these things are the same. And it can't be about you. If it's about you, you will fail. It has to be bigger than you about something bigger than you to provide something positive. And look, you might get that quick success, but you're going to be that, you know, rocket that goes up and comes down. And we see the, these, you know, $30,000 millionaires, as people call them, you know, <laughs> driving a Bentley, but renting an apartment and, you know, I don't wear watches or, you know, do any of that stuff. It's not my thing. I'm not a car guy you know, by, you know, nothing against people that, you know, like cars or anything, but, you know, the focus needs to be on 
what is your product? Like, what are you doing that is helping? Like, what is helping whatever it is, whether that's an analogy to real estate where you're, you know, buying real estate to build better homes for people or an office building that a great business can provide a great product. You always need to be thinking outside of yourself. And when you do that, you know, I believe that the universe pushes you to a place where you will be successful. Certainly for me, it was, and that was the big shift. And when our daughter was born, she's eight years old now, our oldest Victoria, you know, I remember being in the hospital, sobbing my eyes out thinking, oh my God, I don't even know how to take care of myself, much less take care of this little angel that's in front of me. And that was the moment where I knew it wasn't about me anymore. And that was a big shift. And, you know, we lived in New York City. She was born in Manhattan, you know, one of the unicorns. But I urge everybody to do introspection and do what they're doing for the right reason. And the right reason is never just going to be about you. Or could you be a beneficiary of it? Absolutely. We have to create jobs. Like we build this wealth and we build these empires so that other people, but there's families behind that. You take investors in. That's their time that they've spent 30 years collecting their 401k or whether it's a pension fund giving us $50 million at a clip. But behind that, there's thousands of people like that, you know, have saved up this money so that they can retire and they can live these great lives. And you have to make sure you keep that in the forefront of your mind that it's not about you. Yeah, that's so great, Ari. And it's cool to see a guy like you and in your position still have that kind of grounding sense of like uh, purpose, right? I appreciate that. And it's, I wish I could say I could take credit for it, but it's now it's hardwired. It's who I am. And I kind of joke that, you know, from a real estate mentality, I was a teardown. Like, you know, <laughs> as a person, when I started, I was a teardown. There was, you know, I had a speech impediment, I had a stutter. You know, they tried to hold me back in school. I was a terrible student in high school. I went to two community colleges before I got into Texas A&M, you know, delivered pizzas through school. You know, the kid like me, you know, that's not the smartest guy by any stretch. I've always been a big reader and, you know, a lover of knowledge and, you know, wanting to learn, which has been a gift. I certainly, all of you can do it because I assure you that most of your listeners are much more capable than I was. Yeah. Well, it's nice to hear something like that from somebody like you. When we're talking about from a listener's perspective, they might look at Ari or Astigar and say, wow, that guy's got X, Y, Z. He's accomplished A, B, and C. But they don't see maybe the path from you know those early days of you know buying those single family lots and developing rental properties all the way to where you are now. <laughs> so, you know, what kind of advice could you give someone who's maybe in that early RE kind of phase of their life, you know, where they're don't trying stop. to make that next level? Don't stop and just don't stop. I highly recommend there's a book called Relentless. Okay. Okay. It's written by a man named Tim Grover, who was right. Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant's personal trainer. And the subtitle, I think, is going from good to great to unstoppable by the book. Okay. Read it and just don't stop. That's the key. And it sounds so simple, but success is, you know, there's this beautiful, beautiful book called Three Feet from Gold. Okay. 
you know, and it tells this story about this guy that, you know, went out to California, you know, during the California gold rush, went out there, bought some equipment, got some money from friends and family, dug for some gold or whatever, found a little bit, came back, bought some equipment and started doing it, ended up being dry. And as he's walking out, you know, he kind of sells everything for pennies on the dollar to somebody else. But that same group went up there, did a little bit of studying and realized that the vein of how the gold mine runs actually ran the other direction and realized he was three feet from gold. And success is just an inch away from where you want to quit. Right at that moment that you're about to quit is just like that last rep, whether you're doing bench presses or curls, whatever exercise you do, we all know that feeling where it's that last rep that you don't want to do. It's physics and physiology that those last two reps are 90% of the growth. That's the moment where you have to get up, brush off your shoulders, smack your cheeks to make them rosy and just fucking show up. I love it. Yeah. I mean, you could end right there with a mic drop, but I don't want to end just yet, Ari. I mean, that's all such great stuff there. Now we started to talk about the health component of things. Now I want, I'd be remiss if we uh, ended the episode without kind of touching based on that. I know you're really big into biohacking and all these other cool things. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing there and why. When yeah. We kind of talked about you are your best asset, right? Absolutely. You know, I take health extremely seriously, but I didn't before, you know, and that was the key. You know, I started to notice in my early 30s, I'm 38 now, that I just didn't feel good. And I've always been a hard worker, you know, and, you know, I kind of have that, you know, that gift that doctors have that I can stay up for 24 hours without sleeping, no problem. And, you know, most people wouldn't know, my wife would know, but, you know, most people wouldn't know and kind of just keep going. But, you know, my hair started to thin and, you know, I had these dark circles under my eyes and I was kind of losing weight and I just didn't feel good, you know, and anxiety was kicking in and just something was off. And I went on a journey to figure out what was wrong. And I met one of the greatest doctors in the world. His name is Dr. Jacob Rosenstein. I highly recommend all of you buy his book. It's called Defy Aging. And again, it's by Dr. Jacob Rosenstein. And he breaks down, you know, what you should do. And it's a lot more simple than, you know, than you would think. And, you know, we talk about common sense. Problem with common sense is common sense is not so common, right? <laughs> right. And so I went on this journey to figure out what was going on and did food sensitivity tests and blood tests and tried paleo diets and, you know, all these different things, went in hyperbaric chambers and cryotherapy. And I went after my health with the same, you know, kind of veracity that I went after business and found that my cholesterol was high, my testosterone was low and my inflammation was high, all these things that I just didn't know or understand. And I started managing my health the way I manage my financial statements and uh, realized, started eating more vegetables and started getting on the treadmill and uh, started moving more and started taking posture seriously. And, you know, we have a peak performance trainer that's full-time at Rastigar that trains everybody in my firm. That's we so cool. We go and host courses at our apartment complexes for the tenants on a weekly basis to, you know, whether it's yoga, whether it's 
you know, some sort of outdoor activity. And we're a very active firm, you know, very diverse firm. And because the healthier you are, and you said it earlier, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And we all know that feeling. It's like when you wake up one day, whether you have the flu or you have a toothache or a bad stomach ache or a migraine, just something Nothing simple. Nothing else matters, right? Nothing else matters. Like it literally doesn't matter. And so you physically can't do anything else. And so that's science. I mean, we all know that experience that are listening. And so I decided that, you know, health is wealth. And that's Ralph Waldo Emerson, you know? And to me, that's where my investment is because it allows me to contribute more. It allows me to have more vitality. I was coming home, my kids exhausted after working, you know, 10, 12 hour, 15 hour days. And I had nothing in the tank for them. But once I started taking my vitamins right, getting in the gym and putting that time in early, I had the gas of the tank to when I came home, I could be dad, I can be a father, I can be a husband and really show up for the things that matter most. And without vitality, without energy, without health, none of this matters. And you're not going to be able to do it. You might be able to do it for a certain amount of time, but God forbid you get a cancer or something or some kind of you know, disease sets in, look at Steve Jobs, you know, Bill, you know, changed the entire world, but in his early years, he didn't take care of his health and he tried to put a bandaid on a big problem. And you have one of the greatest visionaries on earth gone in a blink of an eye. And we see it every day. God rest, you know, Tony Shea's soul, you know, the ex-CEO of Zappos, you know, greatest, I mean, just greatest corporate culture, human being to ever walk the earth. And I mean, I read that and was just like, just crushed. I mean, Delivering Happiness, you know, his first book, you know, changed my life, you know, on how he treats his customers and what he did and what, 46 years old, gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so you have to cherish those moments and obviously nothing is guaranteed in life other than what death and taxes, as they say, Um, you know, and, you know, I guess, you know, everything has risk, but. I urge everybody to get on that treadmill, eat that extra salad. It's not that difficult. Yeah. Drink more water. It's not expensive. It's not, you know, don't give me any of those excuses. You know, there's perfectly good water there. You can buy a Brita filter, you know, for 15 bucks, you know, put the soda down, you know, you know, you don't need a fancy gym membership. You can go run sprints, you know, outside in the road. You know, just keep it simple. I love it. So those are some of the basic things we all know, right? You mentioned things like posture, drink water, just move, right? Those are the simple things. Tell us some of maybe the more like... 90% of it, but it's the 80-20 rule. And that's the thing people miss. Like, you know, 80% of the benefit you're going to get. And we're not after perfection. And the thing is, you know, we're a society, especially as Americans, that we're after perfection. But perfection is a lie. Perfection is for God or the universe or nature or, you know, whatever word that you want to use. Perfection, we are not perfect. We are striving for excellence. Excellence is what we're after, not perfection. And failing forward, as John Maxwell says best, is the key. Fail forward. Make the failure. Failure is part of success. You have to fail to be successful. If you didn't fail, you will never be successful. They're two sides of the same coin. If only I knew of a good book called The Gift of Failure that was coming out soon. <laughs> it, it'll be there. It'll, it'll be on your desk. 
as soon as it comes out, I assure you. I love it. All right. Hey, it's been so much fun talking with you, talking about things like health, wealth, just living a well-balanced life is so important. I think anybody can take something away from this episode, and I'm sure they have. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up with our famous lightning round, just a series of questions we fire at you. Are you up for it? it? All right. The first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? Just being scared to death, being scared to death. And I called my dad and I said, this is what I want to do. And in the middle of me talking, he said, son, go for it. And I just did it. Yeah. I love it. Just overcoming that fear just with action, right? Massive action. Right when you have the idea, hit it. I love it. All right. Do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Transcendental meditation. Oh, okay. And what exactly does transcendental meditation mean? Transcendental meditation, you can Google it, is a particular style technique of meditation. There's a million different types, but transcendental meditation or TM is the particular modality that I practice. I've been practicing for years. Uh, I actually heard about it the first time from Ray Dalio. He's a huge proponent of it. Howard Stern's a huge proponent of it, Jerry Seinfeld. And once you kind of Google it, you'll see that some of the biggest and most successful people in the world practice that particular modality. That's what got me into it. I do it 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon, every day without failure. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. I've been doing some self-guided meditation for on and off for several years now, but um, yeah, I think it does help me when I'm in a group. I highly recommend everybody, if you want to do yourself a favor, go find a Transcendental Meditation course. It's in pretty much every city in the country. Find the course, go take it. It's an hour a day for three days or something like that. Learn it, do it, and you know you can thank me later. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. All right. Do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day-to-day? YouTube. Yeah. I love YouTube. <laughs> Everything's there. It's free. It's awesome. I have a premium membership. It's the best nine bucks I spend a month that the ads don't come in and annoy me, but I just go on there and find different great people talking about different things and just listen, watch in the car, you know, just kind of just feeding myself that knowledge and it's free, you know, and I think it's just such an untapped resource because People don't value things that are free. We think that we have to pay $10,000 to go to a seminar to get any value. And that's bullshit. Like YouTube has, you can take MIT courses on YouTube for free. It's crazy. MIT. So, and I do, and I watch the courses and I watch the greatest professors in the world talk about all the topics that I know nothing about. And I'm sitting there in class in MIT for free. Do it. Yeah, I completely agree. YouTube, we won't even link it in the show notes. You know where to find it. (laughs) All right, next question in the lightning round. This is a question I'm excited to ask someone who's educated in English literature. That is, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? You've already rattled off several books so far, but do you have one that kind of sticks out in your mind as your go-to recommendation? Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Buy it read it. You can get a used copy on Amazon literally for free. All you pay is the shipping for $3.99, buy a used copy, literally, literally $0. Like you could go to used and it'll be one cent or $0. If you pay $3.99 or $4.99 in shipping, and it'll be the best money you ever spent, but do what's in the book. 
You know, when I first picked up that book, Ari, I had, I had so many recommendations on it and I found it to be kind of a difficult read. It's written, you know, I don't know when, a while back ago. And it was written Early in a language. 1900s. Yeah. It was written in a language that I was like, what is this talking about? And it took me a long time to read through it. And finally, like just one time, it finally sunk in. It's not a book to be read. It's a book to be studied. And that's the difference. Okay. It's a yeah. study manual. You have to think of it as a textbook that you study at school, that you're reading chapters that have questions at the end. It is not a read that you read through. And that's the biggest misconception. I'm glad you said that. Like, it's not a book that you just read it and you put it down. It's a book that you study. You go, and it even says when you get to chapter eight, go back to chapter two. When you're in chapter seven, go back to chapter three, yeah. you know, write this thing down before you finish this chapter. Don't go to that. Cha- you know, so meaning you have to look it at that as a study manual. I've read it probably 200 times without exaggeration. My dad gave it to me when I was 14 the first time, and I've probably read it 200 times. It still sits on my desk to this day. It still underlines in it. I buy new copies of it all the time. It's meant to be studied, digested, read one chapter, reread it again. If you didn't understand a word, pick up the dictionary, look it up. You're right. It was written in a different time period where some of the words are different, but I assure you it has jewels in it that are timeless beyond measure. It is the mother of all self-help books. The best $3.99 you can buy on Amazon today. Ari, we'll link that book and all the others you mentioned. I've got a few jotted down here. Relentless by Tim Grover. Oh, read Relentless. That one, yeah, that one is just a read that you'll just read. It'll just give you goosebumps, just get you hype. I mean, you'll be in the shower with hands over your heads, like ready to take over the world. Awesome. Yeah, we'll link all those books in the show notes. Great recommendations there. Last question in the lightning round, Ari. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Ari? Well, 20-year-old Ari was an idiot, you know, so <laughs> I don't think he would have listened to me. You know, you know, I don't think he would have listened to me. He was a lunatic, you know, but I think in those early years, I would have listened to my father more and I would have studied some basic business stuff and I would have taken some accounting classes and some basic business courses. Cause later on in life, you know, very, a lot of real estate is accounting, depreciation, understanding rent rolls, balance sheets, P and L's and not having a formal business as education. I had to learn those things a little bit later on in life, which was a little bit of a handicap for me early. And it was really frustrating So I would urge everybody who wants to be in real estate. And again, you can find this on YouTube. You don't need to go take, you know, get a master's degree in accounting, but I would learn basic accounting and how that relates to real estate. And if I would have learned that earlier, it would have saved me a lot of pain. I love it. All right. Hey, this has been a really fun conversation, a fun episode. I'm so glad we got you on. As we're wrapping up here, is there any parting piece of advice that you'd like to leave with the audience members? Go for it. I love it. Well, if they're going to go for it and reach out to you, learn more about what you're doing, want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah. I mean, you could go to rastigarproperty.com, you know, and then there's a contact form. Somebody eventually it'll probably get to my desk. You know, we're a firm about a hundred now, but if you write a heartfelt enough message, it'll eventually get to me, but it's pretty easy to look me up. I mean, you can Google my name, Ari Rastigar. You can type in Rastigar and it's very easy to find us or go to rastigarproperty.com, like I mentioned. And we'd love to hear from you all. 
other than LinkedIn, are there any social media platforms you're active on? So at Rastigar is my verified Instagram account. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't manage it. I have someone that looks at it for me. If you want to know more about me, I would go to my wife's Instagram and hers (laughs) is at Kelly Kells, which is K-E-L-L-I-E-K-E-L-S. And she posts a lot about our family and about the business. And her account is verified as well. But if you really want to know who I am, look at her Instagram and you'll see my family and you'll see all the things that I really value in this world. Awesome. And just one thing I'll add to the audience members, if you want to go over to Rastigar, what's the website? Rastigarproperty.com? Yeah. Yeah. Rastigarproperty.com from there. I was digging around this morning. So many great eBooks and quick guides to download there. Tons of content. So definitely go check those out. I think there's something there for everyone. All right. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I hope to get you back on in the near future. Let's do it. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Ari Rastigar. Hey, what a phenomenal interview. I hope you got so much value from that conversation as I did. As always, for all of the things we mentioned in the podcast, you can find those in the show notes by tapping on your phone screen or going to www.jacobayers.com. Well, hey, if you liked today's episode, please let me know by going over and leaving a rating and review if you haven't yet. It would mean so much to the show. As always, for more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobayers.com. Dot com. Until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom LLC exclusively.